We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This episode is brought to you by Decoy Wines of Sonoma, California. As you gather with family and friends this summer, experience the best of wine country with Decoy by Duckhorn. Winemaker Tyson Wolf spends every vintage focused on harvesting grapes and crafting wines from the finest vineyards. Whether it's our flagship Cabernet or crisp and refreshing Rosé, Decoy has just the wine for your discerning taste. Ask for us at your local wine shop or visit decoywines.com slash celebrate to locate our wines near you. Whether you're firing up the grill, hosting an alfresco get-together, or enjoying the warm summer nights, let Decoy by Duckhorn elevate your occasion. This is the High Stakes Lowdown, a Rotoviz podcast brought to you by the Fantasy Football Players Championship. I'm Eric Balkman from the High Stakes Fantasy Football Hour and the FFPC. You can follow me on Twitter at Eric Balkman and the FFPC on Twitter at FFPC. Today I'm speaking with Greg McClain, a former FFPC multi-league winner in both the High Stakes Dynasty and Football Guys Players Championship formats. He's coming off an FPC league title last season as well as entering 2019 as the defending dynasty champion in both the FFPC 750 entry number 27 and 500 entry number 34 leagues. His winnings over the last five years in the FFPC total more than $15,000. You can follow him on Twitter at StarPlum1. In this episode, we break down all the big-name rookies selected in the NFL draft, including who McLean would think about using the 101 on, the new normals in the Philadelphia backfield and the Arizona receiver core, and much more. Before we get into the show, I want to remind everyone that you can get a listeners-only 30% discount to a Rotoviz NFL Pass through the NFL Podcast homepage, rotoviz.com podcast. 
Your subscription gives you unlimited access to all of the Rotoviz content and tools, and it supports the podcast channel. Now, without further ado, here is $15,000 FFPC Dynasty Fantasy Football Champion, Greg McLean. The first post-draft, uh, post-NFL draft, high-stakes lowdown is is this week, and pleased to be joined by a uh, a, a, a current dynasty champ, I guess a current multiple dynasty champ, as he is coming off wins in the FFPC 750 dynasty number 27, the FFPC 500 dynasty number 34, uh, and uh, I think a football guy's uh, league title from last year as well, so... I uh, had a really good uh, 2018 season. We're here to talk about NFL draft and how it relates to the rookie drafts. But please welcome in Greg McLean. Greg, thanks so much for joining me this week. Uh, thank you. Good to see you, or hear from you, Balky. Absolutely. And and uh, I, I should ask you too. Um, we you know on, on the High Stakes Fantasy Football Hour on Friday night, we're having live pick by pick draft coverage of Genesis and, and Revelations and, and the Apocalypse draft. You're drafting in the Genesis draft, right? I am. Yes, yeah, second oh. year. So you're you're you guys uh you, you I, I know it's it's you and the in the same the twenty sixers as you guys call it. Um you uh you, you gotta be all geeked up and, and ready to switch into redraft mode right after we get done talking rookies. Right, yeah, we uh getting geared up of course with the twenty sixers. It's a non stop non stop information, high level, high skill level, lots of information. Nothing gets by any of these guys. That is for sure. No doubt on that as well. Let's get get into fantasy football here in a little bit. Before I do, can you tell the listeners what you do for a living? Uh, yes, I live in what's called the Roaring Fork Valley in Colorado. I am a plumbing and heating contractor from Glenwood Springs to Aspen. Glenwood Springs. So so Aspen uh, has got to be gorgeous, obviously, right? It is, yeah. it's uh, The weather actually turned. It's snowing up there tonight. But uh, it's been beautiful. We had some uh, snow. I'm in northeastern Wisconsin, but I I understand in the southern part of the state, uh, down by Milwaukee, we actually got some snow uh, this past weekend. Or I should say they actually got some snow this past weekend. Normally the NFL draft signals the the time when I can finally put my winter jacket away, but as as uh, as it is in in uh, here in Wisconsin, the, it's never a good time to put the winter jacket away. Hopefully middle July I can do it this year. Uh, let's talk about the uh, the NFL draft because it is in the books, all seven rounds. We've already seen a bevy of undrafted free agent signings as well. Uh, so teams are really locked and loaded now uh, as we get into uh, training camp in a couple, uh, probably two months or so. So five skill guys go in the first round uh, of the NFL draft this year, and, by, and I'm excluding quarterbacks, uh, obviously, in this. But you have the two tight ends uh, in Hawkinson and Fant. You have uh, Marquise Brown and Nikhil Harry go uh, for receivers. And then Josh Jacobs, the lone running back taken in the first round. For dynasty purposes, Greg, well, let's make this a two-part question. If you had the 101, who would you take, and who do you think is going to be the 101 in rookie drafts for the FFPC this year? Well, it, uh, of course, on DLF, I've been watching all uh, up until the draft and knowing it was going to change, but kind of trying to prepare. And I'm a, I'm a running back guy generally, so this year has not been that great for me uh, running back upside. But with Harry going to the Patriots, obviously the best coaching. But I really um, 
based on the combine information, I don't have any early picks, so I'm really looking at uh, our Sega Whiteside look good. Uh, looks like all receivers. The 101 is probably going to end up Harry or, um, boy, I'm sorry, the, the Chiefs. The Chiefs pick, Hardman. Recall Hardman. Yeah, he actually would be someone I would surprise pick at the 101, but uh, only because of the upside of the offense with the Tyreek Hill disaster. So for uh, you, if you're considering Hardman at the 101, you must think that at this point Tyreek Hill is just not going to play another down in the NFL, and, and Hardman is the um, – I mean, certainly his, his skill set probably isn't as good as Hill's, but it's very comparable to Tyreek Hill. But you think Hill is, is done in the NFL. I do. I, I, I do. I, I can't imagine uh, with everything that's going on, uh, the backlash, if nothing else, the protest. I, it, it's really bad for the NFL, and they've got to put an end to all of it at some point, um, regardless of who the player is. Kareem Hunt is bad enough, and this is, you know, it's bad. I don't think he should play. I, I think there's enough evidence there whether no matter what there's enough evidence that somebody like that doesn't deserve the right to play in the nfl so mccall hardman if he is um the 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 replacement for kansas city and and it certainly seems that the kansas city treated him as such what do you what i mean what's his what's a realistic stat line for patrick mahomes uh, throwing to him in in 2019. I mean, is he a 70-catch guy? Can he hit 1,000 yards? Can he get seven touchdowns? Are, are all those benchmarks attainable by him? I think they absolutely are, uh, j- just based on what else they have. I mean, Con- I believe they let Conley go. He was uh, supposed to be a star. I put, in, put some uh, effort into him for a couple of years, got nothing out of it, and I just don't see what else they have going. So I think he's got to be it. Holmes is going to throw to somebody a lot. Let's, uh, let's talk about um, uh, Debo Samuel because he gets taken. I mean, he was talked about being a fringe first round pick. He ends up going in the early second round to San Francisco. So now as we look at the Niners and, and I'll, and I'll switch this to sort of um, we'll bounce back and forth between dynasty and redraft stuff uh, throughout this. But if you're if you're looking at buying into a San Francisco receiver in 2019, is it is it still Marquise Goodwin or Dante Pettis or or is Debo Samuel the guy who's going to put up the best numbers uh, as a 49ers receiver this this season, Greg? I think it's going to be Samuel. I do. I really like Pettis. Uh, he's he's good in his role. I've never been a Goodwin fan. Really, he's just not on the field enough, and he's he's a little slight. Uh, honestly, I'm a I'm a larger receiver fan, so the largest guy on the squad, I believe, will do the best. Not the best logic, but it seems to be that way. Is there is there a ch- well? I mean, I, there's always a chance, but you know, with San Francisco, they they add Tevin Coleman, they have Jarek McKinnon coming back. We saw what Matt Breida did last year. It, it, I mean, could could even with Jimmy Garoppolo as your quarterback? I mean, remember he is coming off that torn ACL. Could, they, could there be a rush-heavy offense in, in San Francisco this year where the three wide receivers that I just mentioned are, are, are all a little bit overvalued? Or do you, do you really think that, that Samuel, you, you can really carve out some really good fantasy value in him? Well, I think uh, San Francisco with Shanahan and judging from Atlanta, I, 
I think they they're going to throw to the running backs quite a bit, um, as they did in Atlanta. I I I don't see the wide receivers not getting what they need, but with the the running backs they have, they're all pass catching running backs. I'm, I'm not a I'm not a believer that Breida will stay healthy in any other role, but an occasional role. Coleman, I I always liked, and I the new coach in Atlanta, I just don't think they used him right. I think he's shown the capability. I mean, I watched him go for 200 yards and how many catches and two TDs against the Broncos two years ago. I know he's capable. So I think there's going to be a lot of throwing going on, but it's going to be possibly 30 to 40% of it to the running backs. Yeah, and George Kittle also bumming around there too, coming off a uh, a big time 2018 season. So certainly all good news for Jimmy Garoppolo. That's what I usually like to say in these situations where you can't decide which pass catcher is going to be the the beneficiary. Uh, usually that means uh, target that quarterback there, and, and Garoppolo certainly is a player I'll be looking at. I was uh, rooting as a Packers fan for Green Bay to get either AJ Brown at the 30 or uh, in the second round. It didn't happen. Uh, they went with uh, some different players instead. I've made my peace with it, but what I haven't made my peace with yet, and, and Greg, hopefully you can help me with this, is I own Corey Davis in a couple of uh, dynasty leagues, and, and I, I, you know, foolishly or smartly, but it's looking foolish right now, you know, still believe that he is a, an elite wide receiver and is going to start having uh, some big-time top 10 seasons here shortly. But A.J. Brown, I really like, too, in the pre-draft process, and, and I think that he is uh, definitely going to suck some targets away from Corey Davis. He might also um, uh, suck some attention, uh, defensive attention away from Corey Davis as well. So as we look at this Titans offense with Marcus Mariota now having uh, Davis and A.J. Brown to throw to, do you think that the addition of Tennessee, at, you know, the addition of A.J. Brown to Tennessee is a good thing for Corey Davis's dynasty value, or is it a bad thing? Uh, and we'll see his dynasty value go down. Well, actually, A.J. Brown was my top guy before uh, going to Tennessee and then the Chiefs picking up their receiver. A.J. Brown, I thought, would be the best receiver. He would have been my 101. Uh, and it, going to the Packers would have been great. I think the Packers didn't take him because they actually, I think Jake Kumarow being healthy this year is going to be big for the Packers uh, overall with all the receivers they drafted last year, he was still the best other than injury. Um, but with the Titans, uh, I got to tell you, I, I don't think either of those receivers has much upside because of the quarterback. I just not a believer in Marcus Mariota throwing the ball, staying healthy, consistency, the whole thing. I just, he doesn't seem to me to have gotten it after the, after all these years. So I, I'm disappointed in AJ Brown's, uh, landing spot, disappointed in Corey Davis not being able to do what he's capable to, to do. And I, I don't blame either of them. I really think it's the quarterback. So I I don't think I can put much dynasty stock into either of those guys. Let me, let me ask you this, because you and I are kindred spirits in the A.J. Brown situation because he was my number one receiver uh, heading into the NFL draft as well. He's not, he's obviously not anymore. But let me ask you this, how much or how far down if you were considering him at the 101 prior to the draft, Greg, how far down is, is A.J. Brown now for you? Is he a mid-first-round rookie pick? Is he a late-first-round rookie pick? Where would you look at taking him now? Well, he's going to be a mid for most people, but 
the ADPs. I don't always watch the ADPs, and I have some later later first round picks in my dynasty, so I've been studying that more. And I could be wrong, but as I understood it, uh, JJ or Sega Whiteside had the best all around combine of any receiver, and I really liked his landing spot. So I honestly, at this point, would take him over AJ Brown uh, simply because Philly got rid of Tate. Um, and they just don't have Alshon Jeffries a little older. I do like him all right, but I think the young, fresh, tall receiver is going to really put on a show with Carson Wentz. See, okay, so this is something I probably should have brought up with you more because this is the second time, unprompted by me, that you brought up J.J. Arcega-Whiteside. And I know you like uh, the big receiver, obviously, and, and you you know, you know just described the, the situation he's sort of entering uh, into uh, in Philadelphia uh, with, you know, it, it doesn't sound like um, the kid out of USC, uh, Aguilar is, is long for that team, um, Alshon Jeffrey getting long in the tooth. I mean, they have Zach Ertz, obviously. But you look at Philadelphia soaking a second-round pick into Arcega Whiteside, getting him at 57th overall. I look at this guy as not a guy that a lot of people are going to be super excited to draft, and maybe uh, in 2019 – uh, they, they, they might get, you know, have a little bit buyer's remorse if they take him. But, man, after this year, if if Jeffrey is, is moving on or, or if Aguilar is gone, I mean, catching passes from Carson Wentz, you're talking about Arcega Whiteside maybe in his second year in the league could already be a top 20 receiver overall. Right. I'm in a startup right now, uh, the 3.0 with the 26ers, and uh, Hardman got picked right right in front of me a couple of spots. And he was who I was after with the rookies. So I just took Whiteside. I I had to take him. I took him over Jeffrey. Jeffrey was still there, and I made the decision and took Whiteside. Let's keep it in Philly and talk about Miles Sanders. Now, I wouldn't say he was my number one running back headed into the NFL draft, but he certainly was my favorite one. And this is a guy that had really climbed up, uh, you know, rookie draft ADP prior to, you know, for people who are drafting in rookie drafts before uh, the NFL draft or, or you look at the startup ADP uh, among rookies. This is a guy who really, really climbed. And I, I look at him being able to, to do so many things really well, including catching passes. And I don't know if he got overlooked a little bit because he was Saquon Barkley's backup, and, and I certainly don't believe he's Saquon Barkley or the second coming of Barkley at, at all. Um, but I, I still do like him as a pro. Philadelphia grabs him here, and there's a couple of different ways to look at this. Um, they, they love to rotate the backs. Doug Peterson there uh, loves to rotate the backs with, with, you know, and then they make the trade for Jordan Howard. So now he's there along with Sproles and, and Clement and, you know, Josh Adams and all these guys. Is, does Miles Sanders simply become the, the lead guy in that committee? Or is he actually going to be a talented enough player now where Peterson will not have to rotate because he, he has a, a well-established guy who can maybe be a three-down back? How do you view Miles Sanders for Dynasty, Greg? Well, I think, I think you hit it on the head. I, 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 think, Peterson's been, I think Peterson's a great coach, uh, first of all. I think he's done well, obviously. Most people do. But... Uh, I think he's been forced to to be committee running back. Uh, Clement didn't show up like he was supposed to. He's disappointed me. Um, they didn't have Sproles last year. Josh Adams was a rookie, and he's more of a big bruiser. 
and uh, he fell out of favor. So uh, I really think, and I never gave up on Jordan Howard, even though I probably should have with everybody else. But I think Jordan Howard is still still a formidable running back, but he's not one that if Sanders decides to show up and catch balls and be good, I think he can easily take over the number one role uh, there. But I do believe that the ageless wonder Darren Sproles is not going away, and nor should he the way he played. He came back at the end of last season and, and was the same guy. So I think Sproles will have a role no matter who has the early down or the main bulk of the work. But I think Sanders could actually take that over. Dynasty uh, rookie draft-wise, when you look at Sanders, I know you're a running back guy. Knowing that he is now uh, on the Eagles and seeing where they selected him, how high? And I know you don't have any any early rookie picks, but if you did, how high would you start considering Miles Sanders in a rookie draft first round? I would take him probably third and above. There's still a couple of receivers that I that I would take at least two of them before him, and uh, I I just the Josh Jacobs lack of experience has turned me off quite a bit for that. It's hard for me for 230 total touches in college. Just doesn't seem like a good enough sample size to me. But everybody loves him. The Raiders picked him in the first round. Um, I actually took him at the 401 in this dynasty startup, but I told all the guys I was going to do it just strictly for trade value. Everybody else loves him, so I wasn't going to let everybody else have him. But I would still, I was still wanting to take Sanders over him if given the option at the 104, 105, where they were, where Jacobs was sitting before the draft. This episode is brought to you by Decoy Wines of Sonoma, California. As you gather with family and friends this summer, experience the best of wine country with Decoy by Duckhorn. Winemaker Tyson Wolf spends every vintage focused on harvesting grapes and crafting wines from the finest vineyards. Whether it's our flagship Cabernet or crisp and refreshing Rosé, Decoy has just the wine for your discerning taste. Ask for us at your local wine shop or visit decoywines.com slash celebrate to locate our wines near you. Whether you're firing up the grill, hosting an alfresco get-together, or enjoying the warm summer nights, let Decoy by Duckhorn elevate your occasion. This episode is brought to you by Decoy Wines of Sonoma, California. As you gather with family and friends this summer, experience the best of wine country with Decoy by Duckhorn. Winemaker Tyson Wolf spends every vintage focused on harvesting grapes and crafting wines from the finest vineyards. Whether it's our flagship Cabernet or crisp and refreshing Rosé, Decoy has just the wine for your discerning taste. Ask for us at your local wine shop or visit decoywines.com slash celebrate to locate our wines near you. Whether you're firing up the grill, hosting an alfresco get-together, or enjoying the warm summer nights, let Decoy Decoy by Duckhorn. Elevate your occasion. Does it concern you? I mean, I know you talk about the lack of experience or Jacobs at Alabama. Does it concern you that he never really was like the, the, the bell cow, the third down, or excuse me, the three down guy uh, for the Crimson Tide? Or it, it, was that just more of a case of like, well, look, it's Alabama. They get the best guys in the country every year. No one guy is, is ever going to be the guy because Nick Saban has so many talented running backs to choose from. So obviously it's always going to be a committee there. How do you fall in on that? I, I mean, is there a concern that Jacobs couldn't shake these other guys, or is it just an embarrassment of riches there in the Alabama backfield? Well, I, I think I think college football has a lot more politics than most people put into it and realize. And with with him having to make his own tape and put his own Facebook page 
stuff out to to get to get a Division One team to look at him and a team like Alabama to pick him up. Even though they did, he could have been the best back. But there's pressure from the parents, the boosters, a lot of outside influences in college to be sitting two five-star recruits like Harris and, uh, boy, I can't remember the other guy's name. Najee Harris. Najee Harris and um, those two guys were both five-star recruits, and I don't think whether Saban's the coach or not, I think there's a lot of outside influence in college football for him to sit one of those guys for a, uh, you know, quote-unquote nobody like Jacobs. But one thing Jacobs did do in those 230 touches is make the most of them and ended up going, you know, first round in the NFL draft. And I put far more stock into the NFL scouts than I do, you know, college playing time generally. So maybe... Maybe they're looking at that he has less carries, he's got less wear and tear. I mean, I'm a Bronco fan. They picked Royce Freeman last year. I was really excited that, with the experience he had with 1,200 carries in college. But, boy, he sure he sure didn't make the most of it. I mean, he wasn't given the best opportunity either because Lindsey came on. But I think Jacobs has a real shot the more I think about it. I think it had to do more with the college politics than it did his talent level. You know that now that I have you um, uh, on, and, and we we should mention or we should talk about this because you are a Broncos guy. How does that backfield switch in 2019? Do we see more of the same where where Lindsey dominates and Freeman sort of works in, or does it become more of a 50-50 thing, or does Freeman you know overtake Lindsey? Because obviously Lindsey was the undrafted guy, Freeman was the guy they 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 soaked the early round pick in. Does that change? How does that change at all between the the touch share between Freeman and, and Lindsey in 2019 in your eyes, Greg? Well, I think it'll change with the coach. I think Fangio is a little bit of a hard nosed old style football guy. He'll like the larger, heavy duty runner early downs, and I just I'm afraid Lindsey can't can't continue that productivity in that role. He just doesn't have the size and the the bulk to do that and I'm afraid they're going to wear him out and not using him how they should and I also I mean I think Freeman has the capability and and he will be I think he'll be touching the ball more I mean if you look at the real statistics pro football focus uh, Royce Freeman faced something like 80% eight man boxes when he got the ball and Lindsay only was in the 30% range so that makes a difference, too, if they get different lineups against the different backs. I mean, this year, obviously, teams are going to look at that, and they're going to stack it with Lindsey. And he certainly, well, not certainly, but in my opinion, he doesn't have the size to push through as many eight-man boxes as Freeman faced. So I think it'll even out. We talked about Miles Sanders being sort of a late riser in, in the draft process. And I think another guy, as far as the skill position goes, that you know, that following it, uh, was Paris Campbell. I mean, this is a guy that was always he always seemed like like he had his um he had his supporters out there that were always mentioning him uh, among like the big five or big six, however you want to look at it among receivers uh, in the draft. but the, he was pretty polarizing. I think as the draft got closer, more and more people started buying into him and and really started believing like, look, this guy could be a, a, a big time player in the NFL. He's gonna have Andrew Luck throwing him the ball. Um, but there's a lot of other pass catchers uh, in Indianapolis. You know, you think about the backfield with Marlon Mack and Naheem Hines. You have the tight ends. You have Ebron and, and, and Jack Doyle and, and obviously T.Y. Hilton out there as well. 
But where where would you be uh, considering him? Because I'm imagining you having some late first round picks. Paris Campbell's got to be a guy that you're looking hard at, right, Greg? Uh, I haven't put enough into Campbell uh, before the draft to know enough about him. And then when I saw where he was drafted and by who, it definitely piqued my interest. So I'm definitely having to reevaluate that. They do have a lot of average receivers there, and they just picked up Funches, who I actually think does have ability. He still has a lot of youth, and he's got the size. So uh, I'm not quite sure what to do there with the amount of receivers they have. I mean, T.Y. Hilton, I'm a full believer in him. I don't think he's slowing down anytime soon. So uh, I would take him, but I'm a little leery of what Funches is going to do there. I think he might surprise some people. So I think they're going to be in a you know, timeshare of wide receiver in Indianapolis. Yeah, that's another – I mean, Funches is another guy that, I, that I've heard from from more than a couple of people that said, you know, look out for him in 2019. He could have a big-time bounce back. Uh, you know, the whole change of scenery aspect and, and the fact that he is so young uh, could really be uh, coming up on a breakout. We shall see on that. Speaking of wide receivers, there are a zillion of them in Arizona now. They're going to have Larry Fitzgerald. They already had Christian Kirk, who they took early last year. Chad Williams, I know, was a was a dynasty darling um by by many folks uh in, you know myself included taking him in a couple of drafts dynasty drafts last year as well but then you look at this year they had andy isabella out of umass hakeem butler uh the kid uh, from from iowa state and then Keyshawn johnson uh as well so i mean they have a really really uh big time stable there so certainly cliff kingsbury wanting to so- uh, uh, surround kyler murray with as many weapons as possible we already know that they have david johnson uh, playing running back and Ricky Seals Jones playing tight end. But you look at all these receivers here. I mean, who do you like? Who are you ignoring? Who are the guys the target in fantasy drafts between, uh, you know, all, all those guys, the, the guys who were there last year and, and the three big guys they added this year, Greg? Well, I think, uh, I think they kind of did the same thing the Packers did last year. Um, I don't like that they drafted so many of them. When you do that, you're pretty much showing your hand that you don't think any any of them or too many of them are that good. You're just grasping for straws, hoping one or two of them are. But um, Isabella's good. Hakeem Butler, I think, is going to be – I mean, I think Hakeem Butler is the real deal. I think he's been slighted lately. He's top, top what, two or three DLF rank uh, prospect all year long. I really still believe in Butler, and I would I would take him mid-first easily, no problem. Keyshawn Johnson I don't know a whole lot about. Um, I think he'll be okay if he doesn't write any books, right? Yeah, exactly. Christian Kirk is a stud. Fitzgerald's on his way out, but maybe they're just going to develop a couple of these guys. There's no way anybody's pushing Fitzgerald out of his position. I think Fitzgerald's going to be the best, the best receiver there again this year he's going to be the best mentor and uh learning resource for for the kid murray um yeah i i you know i just i guess i have some mild concern i own christian kirk in two dynasty leagues and i have a little bit of mild concern where you you know you, you the organization drafts him in the second round last year um and then they bring in a new head coach 
and, and then they they draft three receivers, and, and they already have a Hall of Famer on the roster. And I and I understand that this probably is Fitzgerald's last year. I just I floated some offers out there, uh, trying trying to get a, a an early second round pick for Christian Kirk, um, and and I don't think I'm I'm going to be. You, you know, if I, if I end up keeping him on my roster, you know, we'll see what happens. But I, I don't mind saying goodbye to him right now because I, I am a little bit concerned about his where how the how the current administration and the current coaching staff values him as opposed to who was there last year. Well, send me an offer, Balky. I'll, I'll give you love you it, huh? You 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 love Kirk. Kirk. <laughs> uh, I I like him. I, I mean, there's a couple of those guys from last year that are that are right on the border. I think they they. They did really good. Pettis, Kirk, you know, even Michael Gallup started coming on. I think some of those second-round uh, rookie picks, well, dynasty rookie picks from last year, are promising. I don't. Kirk got injured, but otherwise, I mean, he was right up there with the rookie receivers. I don't, I guess, have the numbers, but I can't imagine DJ Moore was that much better than Kirk, and DJ Moore has skyrocketed value. I mean, I, I'm a huge Ridley fan. I think Ridley had a great year with Julio Jones getting the majority of the targets and looks. But, I mean, Christian Kirk, I'd, I'm a believer. I'd give a second rounder for him any go. day. Well, let's see, the problem, you have all, you win all your leagues, Greg, so then you have all these, these late second-round picks. They just, they're they not as enticing to me as like a 202 or a 203. <laughs> I can't win these 26 leagues, Balky, I can tell you. <laughs> well, the competition in those are it is incredibly tough. Oh, and I got a 2500 number 5 and the competition in that one is ridiculous. I mean, I don't the off-season trades uh Stone Cold Beast, Real Man of Genius. These guys are uh Real Man of Genius made some real moves this off-season and he's kind of scaring me a little bit. Yeah, uh, Brian Studebaker, uh, former guest of this show as well. I, and we, I always like talking Dynasty uh, with him as well. But, yeah, he's not afraid to, to make over his roster, no question about it. Um, Seattle, uh, the Seahawks, Greg, are, are remaking a, a little bit of their roster. As, as Doug Baldwin, it seems like, may not play another down in the NFL with, with his injury woes. They take DK Metcalf at the end of the second round. Um, how high are you willing to go on him? Because he's sort of a polarizing guy uh, as well in, in, in dynasty drafts, knowing that he's a second-round pick and, and he's, you know, what do they got in Seattle? Tyler Lockett and, and not a ton else. Uh, receiver David Moore I know is, is, is there still. But you look at DK Metcalf, um, uh, you know, potentially being the number one receiver for Russell Wilson uh, in Seattle, where does that land him in a rookie draft? Uh, for me, he's outside of the first round. I, he he was the third best receiver on his own college team. He was injury riddled, even with that physique from the Twitter, the famous Twitter photo. Right. He a lot of time on the training table. Um, I I would have preferred Seattle replace Baldwin with someone closer to Baldwin, like a, a you know, I don't know Butler. Just- A.J. Brown? Well, I mean, they couldn't get A.J. A. Brown, Brown there. They could have right. traded up for A.J. Brown, yeah. Yeah, they should have. I'm just, um, again, I guess I have to refer to the team I watched the most. The Broncos, Demarius Thomas, was my hero. And he was a big, giant, tough, strong guy. And uh, he could run the route. But as soon as he couldn't run the routes anymore, he became essentially what they're saying Metcalf is. Just down the sideline, fight for the jump balls, catch one-handed with a guy dragging on the other arm. 
And I like that, but the opportunity for that is so limited. I, I don't, you know, I don't see, I guess with Russell Wilson sc- scrambling around, he might catch him on a few of those long jump balls, but it's not an every down opportunity. I actually, I think Tyler Lockett is the guy for me in Seattle. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I, I own Lockett in a couple of dynasty. I might have him in three dynasty leagues, actually. And he's the type of guy that, that he, you know, I know he was super touchdown dependent last year, but I think, you know, no, no Doug Baldwin this year. He could really be a monster. Uh, Metcalf continues. I You kind of hit the nail on the head there. He just, I know he can fly past people. I, I, I know he can get open deep. I, I know he can win 50-50s. But what I don't know is 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 how good he is at, you know, breaking off those those nine routes and, and running these shorter patterns and, and running them precisely. You know, just that, that you know, the, the, the slowing down and, and getting into your breaks is, is so big and creating separation. And I feel like um, the way to defend him right now is just, you know, play off of him. And, and, and so he can't beat you deep or it's tougher to, for him to beat you deep. And, you know, as big as he is, I don't know if that just takes him that much longer to slow down and, and to, to run an out or, or, or an in or a slant or what have you. I, I don't know what it is. I just know he's easier to defend on, on those routes than he is deep. I don't know if I'd take him out of the first round of my rookie drafts, but it's certainly something that, you know, if I fell in love with certain other players, I have no problem uh, bumping DK Metcalf uh, down my uh, rankings list. I was never a huge DK Metcalf guy uh, to begin with. And, and as you said, you know, <laughs> He's not exactly the first option on his own collegiate team, which is usually a red flag uh, as well, Greg. If there is one player, uh, and it could be – well, I'll, let's open this up a little bit because we've been talking rookies. You want to talk about a veteran, that's fine, whoever you want to bring up. If there's a player that you know that you'll be staying away from in rookie drafts or if there's a player that you know you're you're trying to sell right now, trying to you know maybe take a little bit less than 100 cents on the dollar to, to get them on your roster – uh, who is that guy? And then a player that, that maybe you're trying to acquire on the cheap right now or a player that, you know, I think you could kind of hit the nail on the head with, with McCole Hardman earlier that, you know, you you really like him is in rookie drafts at the top. Maybe there's another rookie too that, that a lot of people aren't talking about that, that you think is going to be pretty valuable. Well, I'm, I'm a trade happy type of person. I, I pretty much offload someone as soon as I don't like them during the season or at any time. So in the off season, I don't have any any uh, high shares of any or multiple shares of anybody that I'm trying to get rid of for cheap. Um, I do that whenever I guess on a whim. It's not not the greatest greatest way to do it. But on buying on the cheap, I was buying Kareem Hunt because I actually was of the belief that the Browns were not going to keep him I thought they signed him and I was sure that they were going to use him for draft capital and that didn't happen so I've stopped trying to trying to acquire him and I actually turned it into Devontae Freeman he's actually been the guy that's been the cheapest available as far as I can tell with the starting job and the highest upside yeah and uh they have um uh Dirk Ketter I believe is now back there uh, running point for that uh, Falcons offense, so certainly Freeman and doesn't have to contend with Tevin Coleman anymore too. So that's something to to be aware of as well. Could could have a massive volume season with Devontae Freeman this year if uh, if he does indeed stay healthy. Greg, uh, no question there. We we kind of 
uh, touched on Tevin Coleman earlier, but uh, Devontae Freeman, what's his ceiling in, in 2019? Well, his ceiling, I think, could be, I don't know, I don't see why he can't be top five. I, I don't see he's a pass catcher. If he can, obviously, injuries are his issues, but when he's not injured, I've never seen anybody run harder. He can catch any pass. He's he's faster than, I don't know, I, I would guess all the five running backs in the league at the number one spot for their team. So I think he has high upside. That's a high-powered offense. Matt Ryan's still very good. Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley. And uh, they have Ito Smith, who did good as a change of pace back last year. So uh, I think if he can stay healthy, he's got as much upside as any other, say, uh, Damian Williams. Everybody's still sliding Damian Williams. He was the best running back in the league uh, the last, what, five games of the season, three games of the regular season maybe, and then all through the playoffs. And the Chiefs didn't get anybody of significance to replace him. They got Carlos Hyde to spell him a little, a larger guy for the early downs. And, uh, I mean, I think Damian Williams is the same type of thing. I'll take him any day on a high-powered offense. I love those guys. It's all about the total offense, not just the one guy. I mean, Zeke is always good as an example because he's Zeke, but the Cowboys run, what, 45 plays a game, or they're one of the bottom three plays per game teams. Um, if I'm not paying full price like you would for Zeke in a trade, I would take Damian Williams, Devontae Freeman, any of the guys I can get for a single future first or immediate first that are on a on a great offense. Absolutely, my friend, and, and we will take you anytime we can get you on uh, on this show. I want to thank you for coming on. This week on the uh, Rotoviz High Stakes Lowdown, props to you on on the 750-27 and the 534 Dynasty titles last year. Uh, really, in all your leagues, you had a successful year last year. We can't wait to watch uh, Friday night uh, to see what you do in the uh, in the Genesis draft and and see how that's going to shake out. Uh, it has been a pleasure, my friend. Always good talking fantasy football with you and and boy a lot to unpack from this nfl draft as it is every year it's going to be fun to see uh how they fall how these rookie drafts fall into line and then as once we get into the official you know rookie draft or excuse me redraft season seeing where these rookies end up will be a treat as well thanks again and good luck in all your leagues this year man we'll talk again soon no problem thank you bucky if if i can mention one thing i just wanted to say for the genesis and revelations those drafts there's a lot of talk about the setting, the ADP. I just wanted Revelations to know that their winner last year barely would have made the playoffs in the Genesis League. Certainly <laughs> wouldn't have won the league. So the setting ADP is fun banter, but it's winning winning matters more. All right, shots fired at two-packer Ron Meyer, the two-time, <laughs> two-time defending champion of Revelations. I'm sure there will be a, a war of words that will continue on Friday. And certainly Genesis uh, has uh, has many of uh, many uh, arrows in the quiver, as it were, to, to fire away, Greg. Thanks again, dude. I, I appreciate it. Uh, good luck on Friday. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the High Stakes Lowdown, a Rotoviz podcast brought to you by the Fantasy Football Players Championship. And thanks to Grapes for our theme music. 
please review the podcast on iTunes under the Rotoviz Radio feed. It helps us find new listeners. Contact us via email rotovizradio at gmail.com. We'd love to hear what you think and follow us on Twitter at Rotoviz Radio. And remember, you can always support the show by subscribing to Rotoviz at a 30% discount through the NFL podcast homepage, rotoviz.com slash podcast. This episode is brought to you by Decoy Wines of Sonoma, California. As you gather with family and friends this summer, experience the best of wine country with Decoy by Duckhorn. Winemaker Tyson Wolf spends every vintage focused on harvesting grapes and crafting wines from the finest vineyards. Whether it's our flagship Cabernet or crisp and refreshing Rosé, Decoy has just the wine for your discerning taste. Ask for us at your local wine shop or visit decoywines.com slash celebrate to locate our wines near you. Whether you're firing up the grill, hosting an alfresco get-together, or enjoying the warm summer nights, let Decoy by Duckhorn elevate your occasion. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day from Movement. Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale. A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom. And a Movement watch is even more than that. Movement uses industry-leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage-inspired style. All for an incredible value your wrist and wallet will both love. And with one-size-fits-all convenience and fast free shipping and returns, it's a stress-free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement. Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.